and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery into, in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is the word of the Lord. So as I said, it's a delight to welcome Jack Wakefield, uh, Jack, to come up. Uh, I met Jack in the summer and discovered last summer that he has been working for Tear Fund for a number of years. And here at Christchurch, we have a long-standing link with Tear Fund. 
um, not just with our project with in Uganda that we're supporting, but with many aspects, other uh, aspects of the work at Tier Fund that we support as well. And uh, so, Jack, over to you. Thank you for coming Thank today, you. and we very much look forward to hearing what you're going to say to us. Great. Thank you. Can you hear me okay? Yeah? Great. Um, I'm going to move this out of the way. Um, it is really nice to be with you this morning. As has been said, I work at Tier Fund, uh, but I also live just up the road. So I walked here this morning um, from Villiers Road in Kingston. So it was quite nice to just have a, a short wander in the sunshine. I'm glad it is now sunny a little bit more often. I'm praying for more of that um, as we come into spring. Um, but I was shopping yesterday in Kingston, and I want to know if, if it's any of you who've been stockpiling all the loo roll. There was like shelves and shelves in supermarkets in Kingston with just no toilet paper anywhere. Um, it wasn't any of you? No. <laughs> it's disappearing, and I'm not sure where it's all going. Um, but yeah, so this morning we're thinking a little bit about uh, climate change and what we might do about that. And as has been said, I work at Tier Fund, and you have a partnership with us. And um, the first thing I want to say is a massive thank you. You have so generously supported our work in Ginger in Uganda for many years. And we are so grateful for the way that you partner with us and the stories of change that come out of that work. We actually did some research with the University of Bath. I'm going to walk into this. Um, sorry, just rearranging the stage as we go. Um, we did some research with the University of Bath a couple of years ago, looking at our work in Uganda, the sort of work that you've been supporting to see the impact that it's having and the ways that people's lives are changing. Um, and it is really encouraging. Um, so I want to share some of that with you. So the University of Bath went to several rural communities and started interviewing them, asking them about how their life had changed in the past five years. And they didn't know who they were interviewing for. These were just researchers. And so they were talking about different organizations that had supported them and ways their life had got better or worse. Um, and the results were amazing. All around these communities, people were saying that they had more hope for the future, that they felt like violence had reduced where they lived, that people felt more resilient and more um, empowered. People knew that they had potential to, uh, to build uh, better lives together, that they could see their communities lifted out of poverty. There was sign after sign of these communities knowing their deep value and their potential and seeing that change come in their communities. And it was amazing. So, the University of Bath compiled it and presented it to us and said, these are all the amazing ways that um, the church work that you're doing there um, is changing people's lives. And one of the things they asked was, what has made this difference? Why do you feel more hopeful and more empowered? And they mentioned a few organizations like World Vision and others, uh, but well above anything else was the local church in their communities. It was part of being with their local church or the difference the local church had made in their community that was by far the biggest reason for their lives improving over those five years. At TFM, we work in over 50 different countries in some of the poorest places in the world. And we want to do that through the local church as much as we can, because we really believe the church is God's vehicle for transformation in this world, for restoring everything is broken and, and bringing hope to those who really need it. And so it was amazing to read this research. Um, and I hope that encourages you as you give generously as a church to support that work. It is having a real impact on these people's lives. 
But in that same research, we also asked, what prevents you from going further? What, uh, what other obstacles do you now face that are preventing further development? And in every community, and in one community, literally every person said that it was the changing weather patterns that meant their crops weren't growing as they used to do. The rains weren't coming when they expected. There were droughts or floods when they were never used to be at that time. And they said that that was now the biggest obstacle facing them. That as communities, they were working hard to lift themselves out of poverty, but now the changing weather patterns meant their years of expertise in farming um, was no longer as useful because the rains were not coming when they used to come. One person in those communities said the main thing which was important was floods that destroyed crops in 2012 and 2013, and then we've experienced drought in all the following years. And it's hard to tell when the rains will come back. This has resulted in famine in households. You grow crops, but the, at the end they dry up and you get no yields. And that really shook us when we were reading the research, that the church was having this amazing impact on these communities, but actually the changing weather patterns that they were experiencing was preventing further development and was trapping people in poverty. And we've been seeing the same all around the world. As temperatures rise, we're seeing storms and droughts becoming more severe. We're seeing floods um, when they never used to be. Um, and that means that crops are failing, people don't have the food they need, or people are being displaced, becoming refugees and vulnerable to trafficking or abuse. And so at Tear Fund, the climate crisis has become a top priority for us of working out what it looks like to care for God's creation because we're called to be good stewards, but also because this is a huge justice issue. People living in poverty are suffering as a result. And so I want us to think a little bit about that this morning, but to do so through the lens of our reading, of learning uh, what God said to Moses and how that applies to our situation today. All the way through the Bible, we see that God is a God of justice. He calls himself it. He calls us to feed uh, the hungry, to clothe the naked, to set the oppressed free. But this story in Exodus, for me, feels like the pivotal justice story in the Bible of God calling his people out of slavery and into freedom and inviting Moses to be part of that story. So I'm going to unpack the text, and there's three things in their conversation that I'd like to draw out. And for each one, I want to offer you some ideas of how you might respond. And I don't want you to hear them as a list of to-do uh, to, to list from Tear Fund of things that you need to do, but instead offerings of ideas of ways that might help to engage with this situation as we uh, try and follow Jesus in a time of climate crisis. So uh, turn to someone near you and um, say, God sees, God sends, and God brings hope. Turn to someone near you and say, God sees, God sends, and God brings hope. Great. So if you can remember that, hopefully you can then piece it all back together at the end of where we're going. So the first thing I want to draw out of their conversation is that God sees. In Exodus 3, uh, Moses has fled Egypt. He's living in the countryside as a shepherd. Um, he has fled the empire, and then he encounters God at the burning bush. 
And over and over again, God says, I see the suffering of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out. I'm concerned about their suffering. Their cry has reached me. Over and over and over again, God says, I see them. I see my people. And he calls Moses to look again. Moses knows what that um, suffering looks like. That's exactly why he's run away. He knows how brutal and oppressive this empire is. But God calls him to turn again and to see them. He says, I see them. I hear their cry. Look again with me. And I find that really encouraging, but also really challenging. It's encouraging because whenever we face trials and hard times, we, or when we're overwhelmed by the injustice in the world around us, we know that God never looks away. He never abandons or forsakes us. He is with us. He sees us and he hears our cries. It's an amazing encouragement that God, the God of all the universe, would see and hear our experiences but I also find it challenging because he's calling Moses to look too. It can be easy when all of this stuff is going on around the world to just go, I'm going to bury my head in the sand over here because it's all a bit overwhelming. Um, but God says to Moses, see my people again. I know you've run away. I know that you've fled um, the oppression of the empire, but see them again. I'm calling you not to look away. In um, the Gospels, we see Jesus walking on the margins of communities, spending time with um, the outcasts and those that society rejects, showing them that he sees them and that he is with them. And he invites the church to do the same, to be with those that the world rejects and to say, God loves you, God knows you, God sees you. It's an invitation for us to participate in God um, being on those margins of witnessing to his restoration power. When it comes to things like climate change, I want to encourage us to see again. God sees the suffering of his people and calls us as his church to see again. Maybe it is um, following the news and um, trying to keep up to date with different things that are going on. Right now, although it's not headlines, um, there are 45 million people um, facing severe food shortages in southern and east Africa because of droughts and floods and record cyclones last spring, which meant crops failed. And now 45 million people are on the edge of food shortages. God calls us to see those people and to stand with them in prayer. And one offering that um, I want to offer you from Tear Fund um, is that we've launched this prayer feed on WhatsApp. And every Wednesday, there is a prayer update, and it has stories of people who are doing amazing things. Communities in Tanzania uh, collecting their money together and paying for solar panels in rural communities or um, collecting up plastic waste and turning it into good products. So amazing stories of encouragement where we can bless them and thank God for them. And updates about the food crises or about different issues or political events. Um, and it's an invitation every Wednesday to see again, to not get distracted by our own lives, but to see the suffering of God's people and to stand with them in prayer. So if that helps, or before, um, Anil was talking about PrayerMate, an app where you can add a global mission prayer to your prayer routine of saying, God, I want to see what you are seeing. I want to stand with you and pray for these people. So God sees. 
The second thing um, that I noticed in Moses and God's conversation at the burning bush is um, that God sends Moses. He says, I'm concerned about their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh. God says that he is coming down to rescue them. And then he says to Moses, now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh. He tells him that this plan relies on you playing your part too. God could just set them all free, I'm sure, the God of infinite power and might. But he chooses to involve Moses. He says, go to Pharaoh and ask for my people to be set free. Can you imagine being Moses in that moment? You fled the empire, you're living this quiet life in the countryside, trying to forget that it exists. And then God says, go back there. Go back to the heart of this injustice and say, set my people free. I don't know what I would do. That is pretty scary, isn't it? God saying, go and do something that feels crazy. Go back to uh, the injustice. Go to the heart of it and call for change. Moses was living a pretty simple life, caring for creation as a shepherd in the countryside. But God doesn't call him to set up this um, hospital for wounded Israelites. Instead, he calls them to challenge the heart of the oppression, to say that this can no longer go on that we have to challenge the root of this problem and use our voice. And this is one of the beauties of being a Christian, that God invites us to participate in what he is doing in this world. He invites us into his story to join in his mission in this world, to bring justice and freedom and healing. And his invitation to Moses here is, now go, be part of what I am doing. And because this is God's invitation, it doesn't really matter what Pharaoh says to him. As he goes, he knows that God has sent him. God says, I am setting my people free. And so he can go with confidence and say, let my people go. Because he knows this is not his own mission. This is not something he's chosen to do. But instead, he is invited into the mission of God. And so he can go with confidence that he is participating in what God is doing. One person that really inspires me is this woman here, Dr. Tawonge. Tawonge is an ecologist. She lives in Malawi. And she is passionate about conserving the local environment, especially lakes and uh, wildlife that live in water. And um, she's noticed in Malawi that um, there's been a real growth in plastic waste in the roads and in the rivers or piling up on the streets. And she formed part of a team with us um, called the Malawi Creation Care Network. And it was people like Tawonge, church leaders, lawyers, and loads of different people coming together to say, we know that God calls us to care for creation, so what can we do together as his people? And Tawonge um, led a group of them to march through the city of Blantyre in southern Malawi, kind of the... um, economic capital of Malawi. And they marched through the city um, telling people about plastic waste and the impact that it has and what they might be able to do differently. And they called on the government to ban single-use plastics. In 10 days was their deadline that they gave the government. Would you ban the single-use plastic in 10 days? Because they said, it's okay for us to try and do our little bit to recycle. But actually, if we're going to make a difference for those who are most vulnerable, we need to challenge the system. and say, 
things must change. We want to care for those um, who are suffering the most, and therefore we want to challenge those with power to do that. And so they marched through the city, and they got loads of media coverage, TV interviews, and newspaper articles. And so Tawange said, if you don't ban plastic in the next 10 days, we'll be back and we'll be bigger, because now everyone knows about this problem. And remarkably, in those 10 days, the government did meet and they reinstated a historic ban that meant that soft single-use plastics like plastic bags were now banned in Malawi. It's an amazing story of the church saying, we are going to use our voice and we're going to speak up for change. And because of Tawonge and others like her, single-use plastics are now banned in Malawi. It's amazing. Every um, 30 seconds, someone around the world dies because of mismanaged plastic and waste. It's a huge problem all around the world. And so at Tear Fund, we're trying to uh, be led by Tawonge and be inspired by her story and say, things have to change. And so for the past year, we've been campaigning to Coca-Cola and Pepsi and Nestle and Unilever, some of the world's biggest plastic polluters, and saying, we want things to change. There are so many things you can do to reduce how much plastic you make, to invest in recycling in these communities where there's no safe way of disposing of it, and to create good jobs for people who collect waste that um, come with protective gear and healthcare and all of the things that they need. And we've um, seen amazing things happen. 50,000 Christians all around the UK have signed it. It's launched in Canada and Zambia. Christians in Nigeria and Brazil are joining in. It's launched in Australia. Um, And there's real momentum building as Christians say, enough is enough. I want to challenge uh, this problem that causes so much suffering for other people. And I would love to invite you to join us if you would like to. Um, In your Bibles, there is a card that looks a little bit like this. It says, this is a rubbish campaign card. Um, And inside it, it has this yellow bit here. And this is an invitation to add your name, to call on these four companies and say, "We, we want you to reduce how much plastic you make. We want you to invest in recycling. And we want you to create good jobs for people in poverty. And... This petition is having a real impact. Unilever have already committed to halve how much new plastic they make by 2025 because of the conversations that we're having. And they even said, can you please keep the pressure up? (laughs) Can you imagine? We've been telling them, you're creating all of this waste. And they said, please keep the pressure because we know this is important. And if you keep the pressure on us, we're going to have to keep changing. So they're one of the really uh, good um, examples of this change happening. Last week, we no, it was this week. Yeah, it was this week. We met with Coca-Cola. They were less keen to change. Um, they've been named the world's worst plastic polluter two years in a row. And they didn't really want to talk about reducing plastic at all. But because all of these people are signing this petition, we got to meet with them and we got to talk to them about why this matters. Whereas when we launched it and it was just a bit of research, they weren't interested at all. Whereas now they're feeling the pressure and the conversations are starting to happen. So I would really uh, encourage you, um, if you would like to sign this, you can do. Um, If you need a pen, Caitlin, my fiancé and glamorous assistant, has got loads of pens. Oh which are now all there. Um, (laughs) uh, If you need a pen, um, then do just wave at her as she walks around. Um, But we can come back to that as well. But this second point of God sending Moses, it is an invitation for us to participate in what God is doing. 
of bringing hope to those who are hopeless, healing to those who need it, and to be part of God's story in this world. And the third point is that God brings hope. This is my favorite bit of this morning's reading. Right in this first conversation between God and Moses, God says, I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Right at the beginning of this conversation where God says, I'm going to ask something really hard of you, Moses. I'm going to ask you to go back to Pharaoh where you've run away because of the oppression and the injustice. And I'm going to call you to say some crazy stuff and demand some crazy change. God gives him this vision of hope that God will lead these people into a land of abundance, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of flourishing and plenty. It is a vision that Moses can stand on confidently, that whatever happens with Pharaoh, God is leading the people to this place. Moses can go in confidence because he knows the end of the story. Regardless of what happens in his part of the journey, he knows what God is doing and what is to come. And for us in a world that is getting increasingly uh, panicked and scared about the climate crisis, we can bring this hope of Jesus that we know the end of the story. That regardless of what happens when we speak up about injustice, we know that God is the God who makes all things new. He is the God who restores what is broken, who brings healing and restoration. In Luke 4, when Jesus starts his ministry, he goes into the temple, reads from the scroll, and he says, I've come to proclaim good news to the poor, sight for the blind, freedom for the captives, um, and this amazing vision of, of hope that this is the vision that he calls his people into. He begins with a vision of hope. And he ends that reading in the temple saying, and I come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now that idea of the year of the Lord's favor comes back from Leviticus, um, of a year where debts were canceled, slaves were set free, the land was allowed to rest and creation could recover. It's this amazing vision of reset and restoration that all will be well in this amazing year of like a extra special Sabbath year. And so Jesus begins his ministry in the same way that God begins his conversation with Moses, that I have come to bring liberation and freedom and healing. And therefore, you can go with confidence because whatever happens, we know the end of the story. We know the, the last chapter. We know the God who makes all things new. I um, am really encouraged when I visit uh, different churches. We're a bit overwhelmed at the moment, the number of churches that are saying we, we want to engage with uh, creation care and climate change because we know this is important. And in, I was talking to friends at Christian Aid and Arusha and other places, and they're saying the same thing, that there is this move amongst the church in the UK to engage with these issues. And I'm excited because we're engaging with it in a way that is um, Christian and distinct from the way the world is engaging. We're saying we want to build something of hope. We want to build something that invites people into the kingdom of God, that they see Jesus through what we are doing. 
Um, and you as a church, I'm not sure if you know, but you um, have got a bronze eco church award, which means that um, you've made lots of different changes to how you run your church. Um, simple things, well, expensive things probably, um, like LED lighting, and you've got a pond in the back, and there's the bike racks, and there's loads of other different things that you've been doing to say, actually, we want to live differently, and we want to model something better to the world around us. And there is loads of stuff churches are doing around the country of saying we want to model something different. Um, over the past uh, five years, I've been trying to reduce my plastic waste at home, um, trying to make some swaps and different things, because I want to model something different to my friends and say, actually, because I know a God who designed this creation, I want to live well within it. And so then when I talk to friends about my plastic waste and why I'm trying to change it, it's an opportunity to tell them, oh, this is because I know a God who loves creation. I know Jesus who died to make all things new. And um, it's an invitation to share with them this hope that we have in God. And so over the last few years, I've been reducing down my waste. And last year, me and Caitlin did the challenge together, and we combined our rubbish into a little jar. Um, about this big, isn't it? Yeah? Um, of saying, actually, we want to live something radically different, and we want to tell a different story to the world. A world that is steeped in consumerism, saying that we find our identity in the clothes that we wear or the cars that we drive or the brands that we buy. Of saying, actually, no, we know our value is in, the in being created in the image of God and of being his children. And so we want to tell a different story to a world in chaos and say, actually, we know a God who restores. We know a God who loves. And we are invited to be part of that story. So to remind you of all the different things I've been saying, in this conversation in Exodus, God invites Moses to see his people again. God says, I see these people, I see their suffering, and he invites Moses to look again. And the invitation to us is not to turn a blind eye when it is difficult, but instead to see the impact that we are having on the world and to stand with them in prayer uh, for change. The second thing is that God sends Moses. He says, now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh. And the invitation for us is not to just live a quiet life over to one side, but instead to use our voice and to use our power as the church, the biggest grassroots movement of the whole world, to say we want to see change happen. And so things like signing this petition is a way to do that. And finally, God brings hope. Right at the beginning of this story, God says, I will lead them into this land flowing with milk and honey. You can go with confidence because I know the end of the story. I am the God who is in control. And for us, as we engage with poverty and climate change, we can have faith in a God who loves and knows his creation and who uh, calls us to be a people of hope in a world of crisis. So I'm going to pause. I'm going to let you um, sign this if you would like to. And on the back of it, there is an option of writing a plastic pledge. And that's um, a way of thinking, what can I do in my own life to live out more of this hope, to live in a way that cares for God's creation a little bit more? And so if you want to add something to that, you can do. Um, so I'll give you a minute to do that, and then I will just pray for us to close. And do wave if you needed a pen or a card.
God, we thank you that you are the God of all creation. And even though you are such a big God, that you hear our cries, each of our individual cries. And God, we thank you that you choose to be a God who spends his time with the poor, who comes alongside those who desperately need you. And God, we uh, say today, we want to be people who follow you. We want to be sent by you and to participate in seeing your kingdom come in this world that we live in. And Jesus, thank you for the hope that we find in you, that all things will be made new, that you are the God of restoration. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you when we feel overwhelmed with the challenges of our own lives or those of the world.